Open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 1 as we continue our series in this book called Still Joyful. I walked out this morning, got a surprise. One of my friends and uh, former co-workers is here today, George Quick, uh, now with BBN, Bible Broadcasting Network. It's great to have him, and I appreciate you being here today, brother. Lord bless you, and be sure you speak to George before you leave. And uh, he's a good guy. He's a uh, he was a pastor himself for many years, and we praise the Lord for him. And a great testimony. Philippians chapter 1, hope you have that now and you're ready. Your Bible might just fall open there uh, after this time in this book, but we'll be looking there in a few minutes uh, with verse 27 today. A soldier in the army of Alexander the Great was frequently charged with misbehavior, and one day the Greek general faced this soldier. Because concerning his disorderly conduct. And when he asked his name, the soldier's trembling voice answered, my name is Alexander, sir. So a second time, the general asked him his name. And the reply came again. My name is Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great looked at this soldier and shouted at him these words. Then change your life or change your name. Change your life or change your name. Do you know any people today who name the name of Christ? Who say that they are Christians, that they're born again, that they're believers, that they're blood bought and they're headed to heaven. And yet they live in a way which brings dishonor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder today as believers, those of us who know Christ, do we really realize the importance of our personal testimonies? Do we really see how important it is that our lives, our lives are consistent with our faith, that our walk matches our talk? Paul in our scripture here today in Philippians cuts right to the heart of the matter. When you read in verse 27, these words. Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Notice that first part again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, when you and I use the word conversation today, we think about it in terms of having a a sit down with somebody else and talking back and forth. I could go down today and have a conversation with Brother Tony and he would talk for a while and I would talk for a while and back and forth we would go. And that is a conversation. But here in this passage, in, in this particular verse, the meaning here actually means your manner of life or your behavior. Or very interestingly here, your life as a citizen of heaven. If you're using a different translation today, your translation may even have it that way. The ESV says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Holman Christian Standard says, just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The NIV says, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the NLT says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Your manner of life 
May it be as becometh the gospel. He would say later in this book in Philippians 3.20, for our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 reminds us, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. If you are saved today, you are a citizen of heaven. Think about that for a moment. That's a glorious thought. If you're saved, you're a citizen of heaven. Our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. And as citizens of heaven, we're to live like that here on earth. I was struck by what one author wrote as I was studying this past week. Listen to what he says. When the unsaved look at the church and do not see holiness, purity and virtue, There appears to be no reason to believe the gospel it proclaims. When pastors commit gross sins and are later restored to positions of leadership in the church, when members lie and steal and cheat and gossip and quarrel, and when congregations seem to care little about such sin and hypocrisy in their midst, the world is understandably repulsed by their claims to love and serve God. And then the name of Christ is sullied. And dishonored. And he's right. Why would the world care about Christ? Why would the world care about our gospel if we live like them and act like them and talk like them and live no differently than they do? Those of us who say, I've been born again, I've been forgiven, I've been bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our personal testimonies are important. When others look at our lives, they should see Jesus. We talked about that for a couple of weeks. The fact that for Paul, Christ was his life. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But as I thought about it, you know, sometimes our testimonies, our testimonies are not compromised by gross public sin. Sometimes our testimonies are harmed and compromised by the choices we make in what has been called the gray areas of life. You know what a gray area is, don't you? You know, in the Bible, it speaks about certain things in particular. In other words, lying is not a gray area. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not lie. But what about movies? I'll just use that as an example. Do you read in your Bible anywhere these words, thou shalt not go to R-rated movies? Or do you read in your Bibles, thou shalt only go to G-rated movies? No. So are we left to make these decisions on our own? No. The Bible lays down and gives principles to help us discern and to make wise choices In these gray areas. Pastor John MacArthur addresses this issue in a book called Right Living in a World Gone Wrong. A biblical response to today's most controversial issues. And in chapter one, he calls it glorifying God in the gray areas. And he gives seven biblical principles that will help us as we come to these gray areas in our life. And these seven principles are primarily from the book of 1 Corinthians. 
I want to give them to you today as we think about our testimonies and our citizenship in heaven and the way we live as believers here on earth. I'll give them to you quickly. Jot them down, if you will. I'll also give you the reference. First of all, there's the edification principle. The edification principle. All of them are going to start with the and end with principle. And the middle word will start with E, so that'll make it easy for you, okay? The edification principle. And here's the question. Will this activity produce spiritual benefit? Will this activity produce spiritual benefit? You know, to edify is to build up. To make stronger. First Corinthians 10, 23 says these words. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. There are some things I could do. There are some things you could do, but they really do not help us spiritually. They do not build us up. They do not edify us and make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The second one is the enslavement principle, the enslavement principle. In other words, will this activity lead to spiritual bondage? First Corinthians 612, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. There are some activities and some things I could do that would lead to possible enslavement, entrapment and addiction. And as I look at those things, I need to make a wise, godly choice to say, you know what? I need to say no to those things. The edification principle, the enslavement principle. Thirdly, the exposure principle. The exposure principle. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, this one is, will this activity expose my mind or body to defilement? Will it expose my mind or body to defilement? The verses are 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. The theme verses for our new teen program, his teens. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The exposure principle, exposing my mind and body to defilement. There are things I could see and read and touch and do and taste and experience that would defile myself, my mind and my body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The fourth one is the esteem principle, the esteem principle. In other words, will this activity benefit others or cause them to stumble? Will this activity benefit others or cause them to stumble? You know, eating food offered to idols was what you might call a great area in the early church. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty, this freedom of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. I have to consider my brothers and sisters in Christ when I'm making choices in my life. And while I might have liberty to do certain things, it would harm a brother or sister in Christ. And so the wise choice would be to say no to those areas. Fifth is an important one, the evangelism principle. Will this activity further the cause of the gospel? 
First Corinthians 10, 32 and 33. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. We want our lives to be lives that point people to Jesus. We want our lives to be lives that proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm very careful to be very careful that an activity would draw people away from Christ or point people away from Christ rather than to him. Number six, if you're still with me, is the ethics principle, the ethics principle. In other words, will this activity violate my conscience? Will it violate my conscience? Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 25 to 29. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go. Whatsoever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. Eat it. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols. Eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? The ethics <coughs> principle. Will it violate my conscience? Don't want to do that very often, do it and violate our conscience and making a decision to do something that's a gray area. And then the seventh principle is really the one that covers them all. And that's the exaltation principle. And the question is this. Will this activity bring glory to God? You've heard me say this verse before. First Corinthians 1031. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all as a finish to the glory of God. When you consider a gray area and you ask yourself that, that question, that settles a lot for you right there. Will this activity, will this choice glorify God? Now, I think if we honestly ran our choices in the gray areas of life through those seven principles, those seven questions, we will make a choice that honors God. We want our lives to be as becometh the gospel, as it says here in chapter one, verse 27. But what is it that characterizes such a life? We know that Paul lived a Christ centered life. We spent two weeks talking about that when Christ is your life, your desire is to magnify him. Your desire is to have others magnify him and your desire is to be in heaven with him. We spent time looking at those verses together. We know that Paul was looking at his future here. We talked about it, I think, just last week about he was between a rock and a hard place. He was he was trying to make up his mind, which would be better. He knew that being in, in heaven's better to be with Jesus, but to stay here on the earth, he could help the Philippians. And he was trying to wrestle there in his own mind and make up his mind. And, and he said, finally, what? I'm, I'm confident that I will remain. I will stay. For your sake to go to Jesus is better, but I'm going to stay a while. I'm I'm convinced of it. But then he says today in verse 27, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I want to hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the what the gospel. 
He was pretty much settled in his own mind, but really it was up to the Lord, you remember, whether he would go on home to heaven or stay here. He's in that prison in Rome and he's writing them here. And the idea was not whether or not Paul was present with him. It didn't matter. God was there. God saw. God knew. Listen, don't clean up your life because a preacher and evangelist is around. God's there. God sees. We want our lives to be lives that glorify God. And in this passage, as we finish out chapter one and uh, this week and next week, we see Paul mentions four things, four things that would characterize them as being good citizens of heaven while living on earth. Now, for time's sake, we're going to deal with two of them here this morning and reserve two for next week. But real quickly here, let's consider these together. You know, as believers, we're citizens of heaven living on earth. We're ambassadors for Christ. So what do we do? Well, we learn, first of all, look at verse 27, that we're to stand fast. It says, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast. The idea is standing firm. The Greek means it's the idea of firmness or steadfastness, like a soldier who determinedly refused to leave his post, regardless of what happens to him. Even if death were to come, he stands fast in that position. First Corinthians 16, 13 says it this way. Watch you stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Stand fast. One said figuratively, it refers to holding fast. To a belief, to a conviction, to a principle without compromise, regardless of personal cost. In other words, we as believers need to stand fast and stand firm for what we believe. Not be backing up, not be backing down, but standing firmly. Now, today we give up so easily, don't we? Boy, we go out, we talk to somebody about Jesus and they say one little thing and we cower in the corner. Beloved, stand fast, stand firm. Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God. Paul knew what it was to stand firm, to stand fast for Jesus. He's writing this from prison in Rome. Many scholars believe he was under house arrest at this time. He didn't back down. He didn't give up. He, He was in prison for Christ. He stood firm for Jesus. And we're to stand firm for him. By the way, we don't start standing and quit standing according to the fads and fashions of our day. We stand, period. Second Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, we're living in a day in a country with freedom. We can proclaim the gospel, but we don't know if we'll always have that freedom. We know that the world hates Jesus. It hates our message. There's a cost involved with standing, and we'll see that later on in this chapter in a coming study. 
But Paul says, look, whether I'm there or not, or, or I'm not there and I just hear, I want to hear that you're standing for Jesus. I want to hear that you're standing firm. You're standing strong for Jesus. Stand fast. But notice, secondly, keep reading. Stand fast. Watch this next part. In one spirit. With one mind. You see that? In one spirit. With one mind. What is that all about, preacher? Be united. Be united. The idea here is unity. Now, we'll see this theme again in chapter two of Philippians later on in our study. But let's deal with it right here this morning. In the church, there is to be unity. Listen now. The church in Philippi was dealing with problems within and from without. We'll talk about their outward adversaries next week, but let's look at the problems within for a moment. It's a wonderful church, but look at chapter four. And I want to begin reading at verse one. And we see some problems here. Would you believe there are problems in a church? Can you imagine that? Philippians four, beginning at verse one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and my crown to stand up. Oh, there it is again to stand fast to the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, let us verse two. I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche that they be of what? The same mind in the Lord. Verse three. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. It appears here there are two ladies that were not getting along. Can you imagine that? And they weren't getting along, Euodius and Syntyche, and they were not exactly unified in Christ at the moment. And sadly, when two disagree in a church, there's not long before, guess what happens? People begin to take sides. Well, I, I'm on Euodius' side, and I'm on Syntyche's side. And Paul here at the very outset in chapter 1 of this book, verse 27, he encourages unity. But notice what it says. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This unity we have is based on Christ and it's based on the gospel. And unity in a church is important to Jesus Christ. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says these words, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. He prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 21 and 22, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me. I have given them. They may be one even as we are one. Ephesians 4, 3 says it this way, endeavoring, listen, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, you might be thinking, preacher, does that mean we have to agree on everything? No, no. Listen, that will never come to pass as long as we have a thermostat in the building. <laughs> never. Some are cold, some are hot, some are fine, some are asleep. We'll never agree on that. We may not agree on paint colors. 
We may not agree on carpet colors. We may not agree when the, what time is the best time to start supper on Wednesday nights and to end on Wednesday nights. We may never agree on how, the best way to conduct a service and, and the best way to do a certain thing. But listen, we may not agree on everything, but we must agree on the important things. We must believe of the gospel. We must agree in doctrine. We must agree in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 We agree on Christ. We're unified in Christ in the gospel. On these minor things, the temperature and paint colors. Listen, we can agree to disagree agreeably. Did you catch that? We can agree to disagree agreeably. But may those things, those minor things, may they never divide us and hinder the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what somebody who does not know Jesus out in the world thinks when he sees Christians who are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ arguing and fussing and fighting over the silliest of things? God help us. God forgive us. We're unified in Christ. I understand before Andrew Jackson became the seventh president of the United States, he, he served as a major general in the Tennessee militia. And during the War of 1812, his troops reached an all time low in morale. In fact, a critical spirit grew up within the, the ranks and they argued and they bickered. They fought among themselves, these soldiers. It's reported that old Hickory called all the men together. When tensions were at their worst, and he looked at them and he said these words, gentlemen, let's remember the enemy is over there. The enemy is over there. And listen, as brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who know Christ, may we never forget that as well. Our enemy is not each other. You're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. I hope. Our enemy is Satan and his evil cohorts and those who hate Christ. Our enemy is over there. As believers, our citizenship is in heaven. I'm an ambassador for Christ. The question is, am I living that way? Am I living like I'm a citizen of heaven? Truly showing forth the glory of Christ. Somebody wrote it this way. You're writing a gospel. A chapter each day. By the deeds that you do. And the words that you say. Men read what you write. Whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel. According to you. What is the gospel. According to your life. Your testimony, your words, your action. Paul says, listen, whether I get to see you again or not, let me hear about this. Let me hear this. Let your conversation, your manner of life, your behavior be as it becometh the gospel. That you're standing firm for Jesus. And you're united in Jesus. There's more here, but we'll save it for next week. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Very quickly before we pray and close our service today. Are you a citizen of heaven?
realize today all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. There's no way to get to heaven but through Christ. Church membership doesn't save. Baptism doesn't save. Living a good life doesn't save. Jesus saves. He came and lived a sinless, perfect life and laid down his life on a cross and shed his precious blood for you, friend. And he arose again victorious and he lives. And because he lives, you can live as well. Today, if you don't know him, God, the Holy Spirit working on your heart, I want to encourage you to repent of your sin and take Christ by faith. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and I want to invite you to come. We'd love to talk with you and share the gospel. For those of you here today who say, you know what, preacher, that's settled in my heart. I know, I know that I know, I'm sure that I'm a citizen of heaven. I know if I died this very moment, I'd be absent from the body, but present with the Lord. But I wonder, believer, are you living like that daily? Is that a daily reality in your life? Are you standing fast, standing firm for Jesus? Are you, you in living in unity with your brother or sister? Listen, there might be some people in here today. I don't know. There might be somebody seated in this building with you today, and you're not in unity with that brother or sister. You need to be reconciled. You need to take, make the first step. As we have the invitation today, you can come and pray, but you also need to go to that brother or sister in Christ and make things right. Be reconciled. What is God the Holy Spirit saying to you today, friend? Will you be submissive to his leading? Father, we love you. We honor and adore you. Magnify your name in this place. And magnify the name of Christ in this invitation. Father, I pray if there's someone here that does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray today, Lord, as the invitation is given, they'll step out and come and talk of someone about their need of Christ. And then I pray for believers, Lord. Help us, Lord, to keep the, uh, the unity and, and, and to keep the peace, Lord, to be united in Christ. Lord, to live a life worthy the gospel. Father, I don't know, but if there's maybe even some here today that need reconciliation, I pray that it'll happen in these next few moments. We pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen.